Um, I just wanted to say a couple of things before we get started. Um, the first is you're going to notice some really beautiful flowers here on the stage. And that is because yesterday we had a lovely memorial of our good friend Bob Harris. Thank you for those of you who came and were a part of that time of celebrating a man who had given his life to Jesus and um, whose family is a wonderful part of our church. Cindy wanted me to make sure that you all know how grateful she is for the time and effort that was put into making that a lovely time of remembrance. So thank you for that. Um, I also wanted to remind you that about two-thirds of the way through the message, you're going to have an opportunity to text in, and I'm going to need your help with that because I forgot my computer. Um, you're going to be able to text in. Um, you can text in your interactions with the content that I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, I'll have a couple question prompts, but also if you have a question that maybe wasn't covered or on focus, you know, don't ask me something about, like, I don't know, who won the Super Bowl? Don't ask me that. <laughs> um, let's try to keep it on topic. Um, and then uh, the number will be up on the screen. I, I believe it's also in your um, worship guide. So we're going to get started. This is our final week of Lord, teach us to pray. Everybody say, Lord, teach us to pray. Everybody say, I don't know. I need your help. I don't know why I turned Southern. So would you stand with me? And we're going to read... One scripture out of the word. John 4, 23, ready, go. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's say amen together. And as I was preparing, I felt very clearly that the Lord said, this is a call to worship. We end this prayer with a call to worship. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my life. My family, we didn't grow up going to church. I started going to church when I was 10 years old. And I remember going into uh, one of my first services, and there was a lot of singing happening, kind of like what we just did, right? And I thought it was kind of weird, but cool. I liked it. I liked to sing. I remember um, one thing in particular, which was this. I saw people raising up their hands like little cups. And I remember, okay, I'll try to make a little cup with my hands. So I put my hands up. And then there was something else. The words were funny. Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock. Anyone? Blessed be the rock. Yeah, you remember that one? What, what's the rock? I don't know. Thankfully, Dwayne Johnson didn't exist at that point. Well, not in the zeitgeist anyway. Um, there was a song that I particularly loved. And if you know it, I charge you to sing it with me because I'm up here on a, on a, on a ledge, okay? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. Huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, we sing that one in church. I had no idea what it was, but I was loving it. Okay? It would be years before that one was clear to me. Um, also, there were weird words like magnify. Oh, magnify the Lord. Or extol. Extol. Holy. 
holy. I didn't know what holy meant. I didn't know what Hosanna meant. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high. Yeah, yeah I remember that one. Um, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It was all gibberish to me. I didn't know what any of it meant. And you know what? I didn't care. I didn't care that I didn't know what any of it meant because I knew how I felt. I felt warmth. I felt connection. I felt love. I felt safe. Comfort. My young life had intersected with eternal truth. How beautiful and miraculous is that? That 10-year-old little girl trying to hold her fingers just so... Seriously, guys, I was like lining my fingers up going like this, trying so hard, so afraid to do it wrong. That little girl had encountered the kingdom and the power and the glory of the God of the universe. And that little girl loved it. She loved it. And here's why she loved it. Because that's what she was born to do. That's what you were born to do. That's what we were all born to do. Worship is powerful. When our hearts are soft, we're drawn into it. When our hearts are hard, we're repulsed by it. Worship requires something of us. We have to adjust our attitudes. We have to engage our bodies. We have to learn words. We have to learn songs. We have to choose to sing. We have to put away distractions. Anyone brave enough to admit that maybe you got in a fight on the way to church this morning? It happens. I mean, I'm telling you, it happens. Okay? Where are my children? They can vouch for it. It happens. We come in, we come in with cares and distractions, and we choose to put them away so that we can proclaim the truth. We deny ourselves so that we can join the eternal chorus of every man, woman, and child who has ever declared God's goodness before us and who will ever declare God's goodness after us. We put ourselves aside and we testify, we bear witness to God's goodness to ourselves and to everyone around So let's say it together. I don't think it's on the screen, but just let's say yours is the kingdom. Let's say it right now. We sang it. Now we can say it. Ready? Go. Yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, we are just so grateful for who you are and how you have drawn us already in to worship you this morning. Um, Lord, we we are yours We desire that you would come and embody the praises of your people, that our hearts would be in such tune with you and your truth, that uh, your your spirit would enliven us and enrich us and and draw us further and, and woo us into your will and way. And Lord, we give that space to you. Would you put your hands right in front of you right now where you're sitting? Lord, we give you the space in our hearts in our minds, in our bodies right now, that your kingdom, power, and glory would be made known this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the entirety of the Lord's Prayer is a preparation for worshiping God. And this is why. It seats us in the truth. So um, there's a book called Lord Teach Us. It's written by two men one of which is Stanley Harawas, a very favorite theologian of my husband's and becoming a a favorite of mine. And here's what they say. For Christians, the Lord's Prayer determines what is true. We wouldn't know truth except through this prayer, which teaches us 
to whom we belong, where we are moving, what we really look like under our assorted masks, and what true kingdom, power, and glory looks like. The Lord's Prayer is an intensive reconstruction exercise. We stop saying mine, my life, my glory, my way, my stuff, me, 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 and we say yours. We talk, we're going to talk about three things this morning, the preparation, the declaration, and the ascent. Let's start with the preparation. This is a reorienting of us to God's truth and to humility. This is important. I find it interesting that in addition to teaching us how to pray, Jesus also warned against the pitfalls of prayer. There are a few that he talks about. Um, praying our way can result in catastrophic pride and haughtiness. He talks about this in Luke 18 when he talks about the Pharisee who kind of, you know, fluffed up his little peacock feathers and he said he's preening around and he's just like, I'm so glad I'm not like those sinners over there, those people. They commit adultery. They do all sorts of things. Not me. Not me. I give 10% of my money to the church. And I fast. Oh, I'm so hungry. I fast twice a week. That's, that's a danger, isn't it? We can get a little prideful, a little full of ourselves. Another danger, attention getting. As in uh, Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says, don't. Pray like hypocrites who go out for all to see. They go to the street corners and they go to the synagogues and they want everybody to see just how super spiritual they are. You know, they're the ones who use the big words. I tend to use big words. I don't even know I do. I get made fun of it by the staff here at church all the time. Yeah. I don't know why I pointed at you. You never make fun of me. Never. That's my husband, by the way, Isaac. So, I mean, we're allowed to make these jokes, right? He just told me to shut my face. (laughs) How do I do that? I'm preaching. Um, Okay, another pitfall, faithlessness. And I see two examples of this in the teachings of Jesus. One is babbling, saying so many words. uh, I think it's in Matthew 6, 7. Jesus says, don't babble on and on thinking that the number of words that you say is somehow going to make God more aware of what you need. Because guess what? He already knows what you need. And then the other one comes out of um, Luke 18, I think it is. And this is, this is uh, where Jesus is giving this wonderful parable of the widow who goes before the judge and is just super persistent. He's like, don't be a one-and-done prayer. Don't pray once and then just give up. That's faithlessness. Sometimes God requires us to go into a zone of praying and contending. He's not saying say a bunch of words, but he is saying come to me every single day. So that's a pitfall. The Lord's Prayer guides us away from these pitfalls and shepherds us toward humility. Everyone say humility. Humility. Like a little child. Luke 18, 17. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then Matthew puts it this way. um, But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these little children. This is, this is the way Matthew remembered that teaching that he watched Jesus give. He was like this firsthand recipient of the words of Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? Now, I've been working with kids since I was a kid. I remember when we started going to church, like I told you, I was 10 years old. But you had to be 12 to serve in the nursery. 
just so you know, it's not like that here. And if your kid wants to come serve, we'll, we'll see if it's a good fit. We're not age-driven. But I had to be 12. And I remember the very first day, I was like, I turned 12. It's my turn now. I went in the nursery. And it was awful. <laughs> I had this little baby, and something warm was descending upon my body. It was called pee-pee. Okay? And then something equally warm and even more smelly descended upon my back, and it was called spit up. Oh, man, those babies. Kids need so much, don't they? Kids need so much. Some, something I absolutely love about working with kids is that most of the time they are all in. You ask them to do something silly, they're on board. I mean, some kids are more shy, but you know what? Even the shyest kid with consistency and love will awaken and be readied to do wonderful little things, itsy-bitsy spider type things. They will follow you. They are willing. They want to know the rules, and they want you to teach them to them. Is that crazy? Kids are amazing. They, are, they, they know how to ask for help. Teacher, 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 teacher. Sometimes it's like, okay, you're rushing me. Everyone go sit down, put your hand up one at a time. I can help you. But they know how to ask for it. They're readied to receive the good things that we can provide for them. The Lord's Prayer guides us into this same humility, a humble attitude where we might be reliant on God. Our Father, we humbly rely on God for our identity. He is our Father and we are his children. We are who he says we are, not who the world says we are, not who our broken, you know, psychological, dysfunctional selves say we are, but who he says we are, who art in heaven. We humbly admit that everything there, that we see is not all that there is. When I tell a kid that God exists and that he loves them, they believe me. They don't have to see it to believe it. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance. Parents, be careful about Santa. Be careful that you tell them that from your trusted, sacred place as their parent that something is real that isn't real. Because you know what? We are going to call them forth to believe in a God that they cannot see, but they very much can experience. Don't undermine that. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We humbly acknowledge God's holiness and perfect will and invite him to direct our lives. We put God in the driver's seat. See, when my kids were young, I put them in the car. They didn't tell me how to drive it. Oh, no, that didn't happen until they got their learner's permit. <laughs> then it was like, Mom, let me tell you how it's done. Uh-huh. No, my kids got in the car, and they trusted that I was going to be able to get them where they needed to go safely and that I knew the way. Give us this day our daily bread. We humbly admit that not only do we not have all that we need, but we don't even know what we need. We need God to show us every single day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We echo the prayer of the tax collector in Luke 18 who beat his breast and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We admit that we are all hypocrites who want everybody around us to behave, but we don't even know how to behave ourselves. We depend 
and we expend. We extend. We depend on God for forgiveness, and then we extend that same forgiveness to everyone around us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask God for his help in navigating a life that is full of things that are meant for our harm. And we believe God when he says something is harmful to us. When I was first teaching my kids to cook, I, they believed me when I said, you know, don't stick a fork in the socket or don't touch the burner. They, they weren't like, oh, stupid mom. No, they believed me. We believe God when he says something is harmful for our lives. And as we earnestly pray God's way, something transformational happens. I have a quote from you from a book called The Cost of Leadership. It was written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died for his faith. He was a martyr. He says this, When men pray, they have ceased to know themselves and know only God whom they call upon. This is the true essence of humility. To know him Rather than ourselves, as provider, caretaker, guide, director, forgiver, standard bearer, and redeemer. And this beautiful preparation gives way to the declaration where we worship God in response to his truth, not ours. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There it is. In black and white, the truth, the cornerstone of all creation, it all belongs to God. We're going we're gonna to read a little bit more about that. It all belongs to God. Probably the most famous example of a worshiper in the Bible is David. King David said this beautiful prayer towards the end of his life. He had gathered all of, like, more treasure and material than we could ever imagine to build a temple so that his son could build a temple. And he was saying this prayer to this huge assembly of God's people. And this is what he said. O oh Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power and glory, the victory and the majesty. There's another word I didn't know when I was 10. <laughs> Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O oh Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. That prayer continues. In fact, uh, my friend George, who's going to speak next week, he pointed that prayer out to me um, as, as I had submitted my manuscript. He reminded me of this prayer, and he said, you know, a lot of scholars think that, that the doxology, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, actually came from this prayer. And you can hear it in there, can't you? Yours is the power and the glory. May your name be praised forever and ever. This is your kingdom. This declaration of the Lord's Prayer has been going forth for ages. And in praying this kind of prayer, we declare historical truth, which is the antithesis of every lie that you and I have ever been told by society, by culture, by our selfish, sinful selves, and by the enemy of our souls. Lies like our lives are all that matter. This disconnects us from history. It disconnects us from our spiritual fathers. It disconnects us. It orphans us from our families. It disconnects us from the body of Christ sometimes. Many people decide to worship on their own at home, disconnecting themselves because their life is the only one that matters. And if you're watching online, this is not a reproof for you. There, we understand that, that we're coming out of this crazy season, but come back. Come back. 
Come back into the fellowship of believers. Don't be pulled away on your own. Another lie. We can each have our own truth. How is this possible? This is like the most amazing lie I have ever heard. What happens when what you believe is in direct contrast to what I believe, and then we come together? Conflict. This is how wars happen. Another lie. That our accomplishments... Boy, are they really something. I'm amazing. And then we praise ourselves. And then, listen, so dangerous, we live our lives trying to receive the praise of others for our identity. You will never, kids, listen to me. You will never get enough affirmation to make you feel good. You will never be loved enough by enough people. You will never be told that you are beautiful enough. You will never be told that you are talented enough. And if you let people start telling you who you are, you are going to be walking in the way of the enemy for your life. Only God can tell you who you are. He says you're a son. He says you're a daughter. He says, I love you regardless of your sins. I love you regardless of how you have failed. I love you regardless of how many times you have fallen on your face. I also love you regardless of all your accomplishments. This is the identity, the inheritance that you have. And some of you know some really hard stuff. Many of us in this room have been traumatized by the upbringings that we were a part of. Aren't we so grateful that we live in, a, in the truth that God's kingdom and power and glory resides and exists outside of that? He has that for you. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep reading your Bibles. Keep following after him. The world is full of lies, but this prayer does not allow us to live according to lies. The words of Jesus restore us to be able to worship God as the scriptures urge. The Psalms are full of these prayers. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him. You know, the Bible says that we're to fear the Lord and the Lord only. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved except by him. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. He is the one who made us, and we are his. Words of safety. Through our worship, we have the opportunity to respond to the truth about God and who he has made us to be. And throughout the millennia following uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, many have died for making such a brave declaration. I mentioned one of them, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They're called martyrs. Death by firing squad, death by sword, boiled in oil, beheaded, stoned to death, speared to death, beaten to death, crucified. Why would anyone submit to such horror and humiliation so that they could declare the truth about God? Listen to this quote. A radiance shines from those whose lives are so powerful as to enable them to stand against the principalities and powers to say no to the prizes offered in this world's rat race. Thus the martyrs show us that Jesus not only had the kingdom, the power, and the glory, but he made possible for ordinary women and men, just like you and me, to participate in the same kingdom, power, and glory. I remember when I first got saved, it was really um, popular to have tracts 
at the entry table of the church. And there was a tract, and it was like this left-behind tract, and in it there was like a scene of a guillotine and somebody getting their head chopped off. And I was like, what? What? And I remember showing it to my friend, Amy Stonehill, and she was like, oh, that's the end times and blah, 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 blah. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to have to get my head chopped off. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And I would lay in bed and just imagine what it would be like to look at that thing coming at me. <laughs> this is this poor 10-year-old Danya. She was so traumatized. <laughs> but here's the truth. Here's a really cool thing. You and I, we get to participate with all of those martyrs when we make this declaration. We join in solidarity with the blood of the martyrs as we allow God's kingdom and power to invade our lives and cause us to live differently from the world around us. And in this grand declaration, we express defiance and deference. Defiance and deference. We defy the gods of this age whose names are nationalism, atheism, humanism, capitalism, nihilism. If you don't know what nihilism is, it's basically hopelessness. And in, in individualism. Defiance to our idolatry. Defiance to our self-indulgence. Defiance to our sin. And we express deference to the one whose kingdom and power and glory are not ours. To the one who is above it all. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We make this declaration and then there is one word, a final assent. God's truth having replaced our truth. Everybody say amen. amen. That was weak. Everybody say amen. amen. Yes, there we go. This just means so be it. Let it be so, that sort of thing. This final word signifies our assent, our agreement individually and corporately all together of all the statements made in the Lord's Prayer. And while this is good, we have to be very careful. We have to be careful not to reduce this word down to an emotional or intellectual response based on our personal life, existence, or current feelings. This is not an Amazon review. There will always be a temptation to submit God to a highly subjective review process. So, my life feels good, God is good. My life is not so good, God must be bad. Or maybe he just doesn't even exist. We give and withhold our amens so easily based on our ever-shifting sands of life and experience. Jesus said we would have trouble. He said, you're going to have trouble in this life, but take heart, I've overcome it. He said this knowing that things would be hard because you know what? He lived it. Paul said that we would be ever so prone to be like infants tossed and blown on the waves of every new, good, bad, ugly idea. And don't we all know that to be true living in the age of Google where we can pick up any idea we want, click of a button? It's not hard to surround ourselves with untruth. It's important to understand that our lived experience does not prove or disprove that God's is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Because we live in this really interesting world where one person's biggest problem is that the tile that they want for their kitchen is on back order and they're going to have to wait three weeks for their you know, renovation to be complete. Some of you are laughing. You're like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> then... Another person at the very same time in another location, their problem is that their kitchen just got blown to bits because they live in a war-torn region and a bomb went off and completely demolished their house. 
while at the same time another person's problem is that they don't even have a kitchen. In fact, they don't even have enough to eat. So when we say yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, we are believing, we are amening to the idea that this is a truth for somebody in war-torn Ukraine. This is the same truth for our village in Sheol where food has been a problem for a really, really long time. And it is the same for us here in Salem. Many would say we live in the land of plenty. It is the same truth. It does not change by our life experience. This amen is not flippant. When we say amen, we are assenting that God's truth is the truth. Beyond our experience, ego, expectation, or stupefaction. I have here written on my notes, sometimes we're just not smart enough. God's truth is immovable, unshakable, irrefutable, unchanging. And that is what Jesus was talking about when he said the words that we read at the beginning of this message. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that God seeks, the Father seeks. The Lord's Prayer makes it possible for us to worship God in this way. Thank you, Jesus. So I, I mentioned at the beginning of the message that you were going to have an opportunity to reflect and interact with this message. And so I have two questions, um, but please don't live, limit yourself to these questions in terms of your response and what the Lord is speaking to you right now. Here are the questions. What conflict arises in you when it comes to responding to God's truth in worship? And the second question is, how does your experience confirm that worship is the result of reorienting to God's truth? So um, for those of you who may be new to this process, we won't be sharing names. But if you want to share something with me, which will eventually be shared with Isaac, and you don't want it shared today in this room and space, we won't be able to share everything. But if you want to be safeguarded, you can just write the word private in front of your comment, and we'll make sure that that doesn't get shared. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to hear from you. I, I quite enjoyed this a few weeks ago when I got to, to do this with you. So let's go ahead and start our timer, and I'll get what I need to do it on my end.
I'm just going to read a few more before we begin. There was kind of a lull where the texts weren't coming through, so I'm just going to take one more minute. Whew. Now it's buzzing. Hmm. <laughs> Some of this I'm, I'm actually going to be covering um, in the second part of the message, so I'm actually really excited because a lot of what you guys are saying is, like, why is it harder to worship when things are bad and easier when things are good? Or um, I have a hard time getting down on my knees and being wholehearted in my worship. Um, there, Let's see, here's another one. There's also been a few people talking about um, <sighs> I, I'm hearing how do I know when it's God's truth and when it's my truth? Hearing that conflict. I'm also hearing the conflict of how do I talk about God's truth as being real with people who are skeptical about that or don't believe it? Seeing God's truth is difficult for some when our world is so broken. Mm -hmm. I think I, I got one from our youth, and I want to give voice to them. It says, when we youth are con constantly being told you are never going to be good enough or being compared to other people, it makes it very hard to notice the truth when someone says otherwise. How can I notice God's voice in all of it? There's a lot of conflict there that I am noticing as I read. I'm going to read a few more um, and then move on to some con confirming. Some have been expressing um, how feelings interact with our worship and how our feelings interact with truth. And, you know, I think that's a really good point. There are some people in this room who are not feeling-driven. They're more logic-driven. And I think there's two sides of a coin there. And feelings can be very dis disabling in our worship of God. They, they can also be very releasing of worship, and I think there is, um, 
a difficulty in assigning our worship experience to a feeling. On the flip side, if you're more of a logic-based or a reason-based or maybe more stoic in nature, maybe you grew up in a home where that kind of expression wasn't nurtured or, or wasn't a part of your life experience, you might be thinking, well, I don't feel God, but I believe. Boy, do I relate to that. Um, so really what I'm hearing kind of boils down to personal life, kind of what, what was talked about right before we came into this portion, just how our personal experience can actually um, sometimes derail us away from worshiping God in his truth. And, and you can hear that conflict, can't you? That, you know, God has um, given us agency and volition and the freedom to engage with his truth from a place of our desire and um, submission. And there is conflict there because at the end of the day, it is up to us to surrender to him. All right, I'm going to move on to some of the confirmations. Although I haven't read these, so... Here's, here's something I'll share. God is enthroned by the praises of his people. So I'm going to kind of expound on that. For When we say God, God is always on the throne. Always. You know, um, it's just, it is what is true. He is always on the throne. But the, the Bible does say that, you know, we... He inhabits the, the, the praises of his people. We can put him on the throne. This is a figurative way of expressing that we're putting him as Lord of our lives. When we worship the one true God, we submit ourselves, our hearts, and our minds to this reality that he is the creator, we are the created, and he is worthy of all honor, power, and glory. Amen. So I hear that confirmation of somebody who maybe has gone before and is experiencing the fruition of this um, in their life right now. I can and should worship the Lord whether I am in a good mood, bad mood. Things are going great. Things are going poorly. He is the truth and the light. He sees me. He knows my struggles. I should praise him always. Amen. Anyone in here not have any struggles? Hmm. This person says, um, knowing the fact that I should be on my knees before the Lord and my sins are keeping me from falling down before him. Years and years ago, Isaac read a book. I'm not actually sure what it was. Maybe you remember. But he had shared some information with me that I thought was really interesting. That the root of atheism isn't disbelief, it's sin. Isn't that interesting? Like There are studies that will show that Sin actually is what causes us to not want to believe in a holy God. Sin's a real problem. Another testimony. Our lives were literally turned upside down on a freeway in Florida, and when the emergency team came, they immediately ran over to our son, who was on his hands and knees praying, worshiping the Lord when they thought maybe he was hurt. 
So thankful that this was his response to the accident, going to the Father. He was still good in the midst of chaos. Okay. I'm going to share our testimony with you. And I've shared this before, but there are those in this room who haven't heard it, and I'm not going to be long. My mom committed suicide when I was 27 years old. And I remember twice somebody came to me and said, (laughs) why aren't you just over it? God is good. This life is not all that there is. That was hard to hear. But you know what? That was truth. That was truth. Despair wanted to divide me away from my faith and from the Father's love and leadership in my life and the worst tragedy I'd experienced to that point. That truth redirected my life. Sometimes we need to get over ourselves. Not everything we feel needs to be validated. We need people to tell us hard things like that. We don't like it. And goodness knows the Bible talks a lot about speaking the truth in love. But be on your guard about thinking that everything that you think and feel needs to be validated before you will hear truth. That's just a a road of pride. It's the seed of pride. I did not like hearing that. I remember being so offended. But you know what? I needed somebody to kick my butt a little bit. I needed somebody to love me more than just telling me things were that I was allowed to feel all those feelings. I was allowed to feel all those feelings. But if I had chosen to continue living in those feelings, I would not have experienced the glory of God in my life. He had something more for me in the aftermath of that time. Okay, I don't know if I did that right, but (laughs) that's where we're at. (laughs) Thanks, Andrea. I feel like there's more in there, and um, hopefully Isaac will have some time to respond this week. Um, And I'm more than happy to share that load, by the way. Um, If you didn't get interacted with, I apologize. There was quite a bit coming through there at the end that I missed. I feel so confirmed in the Lord's leading for where we're going to go next. Um, When I was writing this message, so just so you guys know a little bit about how messages are written, I know I've shared this before, but we, we typically turn, those of us who participate with Isaac on the speaking team, turn our manuscripts into a team of pastors who review the manuscript one week prior to delivering this message. So I wrote this message two weeks ago, and I wrote it, and I handed it in incomplete, which I am Miss toe-the-line, straight-A student, do-it-all-right, dot-all-the-I's, cross-all-the-T's kind of lady, okay? I'm the person that, even when I'm super tired, I pull into my garage, I pull everything out of the car. We don't leave trash in the car. You know, it was hard for me to deliver this message incomplete, and it was incomplete when I gave it, because I didn't know how God wanted me to end it. I was like, I could go in so many directions. I could talk about tithing, giving 10% of our income to the Lord, that proves that we believe him, right? I mean, giving our money to him, that's about as hard as it gets for some of you in this room. It's true. I don't judge you. I just know it to be true. I've heard it. 
I thought, well, I could talk about reading your Bible more because, I mean, how do you worship God in spirit and in truth when you don't know him? And it is so important. And some of you, you know, were talking about how do I know when it's me? How do I know when it's the truth? Yeah, you, you have to know the word. Just read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. Never give up. Just keep reading it. I thought, well, maybe I could talk about that. I could talk about prayer. I mean, Jesus prayed this beautiful prayer in John 17 where he said, be one as I and the Father are one. Our unity is such a joy to, to our Father in heaven. Oh, my goodness. I thought I could talk about that. But this just didn't all feel right. It, it's all a beautiful expression of God's kingdom and power and glory coming to bear in our lives. But then I was drawn back to this idea of being humble and dependent like a little child. How? How do we remain dependent how do we have the humility it takes? God knows everything that we need before we even ask him. How do we even like stay in that posture? And then I was listening to a podcast just a few short days ago. And the person who was being interviewed said these words. Let me find them. I want to get it right. He said... I just feel so deeply loved by the Trinity. The Trinity being God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I just feel so deeply loved by the Trinity. Wow. I sat on that for a minute. I paused my podcast and I was just like, God's love is important. Can I just tell you that for the first 28 years of my life, I was trying to follow God without believing that he loved me. You'll notice that number is kind of interesting when I tell you that my mom committed suicide when I was 27. Do you know that that season of horror and trauma actually catapulted me into the love of God for my life? This is the God we serve, that he can take the worst things and turn them for good. Amen. How is it? How is it that I could be abandoned, that I could experience the power of Satan in my life in such a real way I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I couldn't pray? And in the aftermath, God could give me treasure, his love, his abiding, unfailing, extravagant, beautiful love came into my life. Our God is a God of love. This declaration, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Anybody can say these words without meaning it. But it means everything to us who know that we know that we know that God loves us. Do you know how much God loves you? This is what I feel like he asked me to say to you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. There was a woman in the Bible who was full of sin. Her reputation was well known to the people in the community. She was notorious. And then she received something from Jesus. She was healed by him. And then she did something shocking in front of a bunch of people who never would have wanted to even breathe the same air as her. She got on her knees and she wept over 
the Lord's dirty feet and she took her long hair and she dried those feet with her tears. She was so in love with him. This worship was her response to his love in her life. And this is what Jesus said about her. I tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But the person who has shown forgiven only a little shows only a little love. It is the pride of our lives to think that we do not need God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. True humility is a recognition that there is truth that we can know. It's in our Bible. I didn't bring mine with me because I typed it all out, but it's right there. Picture my little pink Bible in my hands. The truth is there. It's there for the taking. We can consume it and know it if we want. True humility is this recognition. We have erred against God's way. We have separated ourselves from him. And yet the Bible tells us that in Christ, nothing can separate us from his love. That was my scripture starting when I was 18, and it took me 10 years to believe it. But this is the truth. God loves you, and in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. We receive his love through repentance. You know, when I sat in anger, pain, turmoil, when I was mad at God that my mom would do such a heinous thing, I had to repent. I had to repent. I had to stop believing the lies that, God, that, that I was believing about God and actually receive his truth. So we need help with that. If you are struggling to believe God's, God's truth for your life or you are struggling to receive his love for your life, reach out beyond yourself. This came up last week when Isaac was uh, interacting with the church. Reach out beyond yourself. There are those of us who have gone before, and we didn't go before because life was just that easy. The people in my life I most admire have had some of the hardest troubles, and yet they love God, and they believe his word. The truth is the rock upon which their life is seated. And you know, now I know what the rock is. Jesus Christ, him alone. When we realize that we are just like this woman who trusted Jesus so much that she defied all custom and appearances to express it in the only way she knew how, we are expanded in our capacity to love God and to receive his love. Just this last week, Tuesday morning, the snow came. Who feels good about the snow? Okay. Anyone else was like me, grumpy about it? Ah, <laughs> I love it. Guys, Thursday we had our snow. I became flexible. I worked on that part of me that doesn't like things to be disrupted. I worked on my flexibility on Thursday. Why did I have to work on it again on Tuesday? <laughs> the snow came. I was grumpy. I was, doing my, I was doing my devotions in the living room, and my family was making noise, and I was like, guys, trying to love Jesus here. <laughs> and Isaac was like, Danya. So I went, up to my, <laughs> I went up to my bedroom, and I'm sitting in my bed, and I'm reading my Bible, and then it comes time to pray. See, I'm really good at checking the box on reading the scriptures when I don't feel like doing a devotion. Oh, I can read. That's <laughs> but then I have to pray. 
I did not want to pray. I have a little prayer list. I opened up to it and I just looked at it and there was a little word. It's at the top of every day's prayer list. I have one for every day of the week. If you want to learn how to make a prayer list, I'm not an expert. I just decided to do this one thing and I can help you if you want help. Write my name on the connection card. I'll call you. I, I looked on it and it said, adoration. <sighs> I did not want to adore the Lord. And you know, it's like... <sighs> So I, I like shifted positions. I was like sitting crisscross applesauce and I like got my legs under me on my knees and I was like, you are worthy. <laughs> but man, when I said those words, opened up. And then I was just like, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy, Lord. And one of my kids was outside the door, and they came and they closed it. I didn't even know it was open. <laughs> They're like, something's happening there. I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> but I, I mean, the stone that so easily encases and re-encases my heart. Maybe some of you aren't like this. And let me tell you, I admire you to no end. But my heart just wants to get stony so fast, so easily. And I have to constantly pull it apart. And I'm like, my stones were like being rolled away. And then I repented. Because I was allowing my feelings to guide me into wanting to push God away. Just because I was grumpy about a snow day. There are worse things. The love of God flooded me, and I worshipped him. 33 years ago this month, the month of March, I was a 10-year-old going to church for the first time. I didn't know who Jesus was. I walked into a room filled with music, words that I didn't understand, people with their hands raised like little cups. 33 years ago, I surrendered to what I didn't know. And 33 years later, I have a hard time surrendering to what I do know. But I do it because I know he loves me. He loves me, he loves me. And he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. If there's anything that you can walk away with today is that he loves you.